Well, I think it's super fascinating that things that live in the obstetrics world kind of manifest in a different way, but similar problem in the gynecology world. Now, let me explain what I mean, and I'm going to give you this analogy. It's going to make a lot of sense. Take, for example, in the world of obstetrics, fetal heart rate tracing. Now, we've covered this in the past episodes about the dilemma about what to do with the Category 2 fetal heart rate tracing, right? It's super broad. At some times, at some cases, it looks very minor, and it's more towards a Category 1. And then at some times, a Category 2 is almost on the other end, like not quite a 3, but it makes you really uncomfortable. So it's that Category 2 conundrum. Well, same thing in gynecology, obviously not with fetal heart tones, but with cervical dysplasia. Look, we know what to do with Category 1. You get a pass, that's a check mark. you're on your way. We know what to do with Category 3 or CIN3, that's a true precancerous lesion that needs some kind of treatment, some kind of excisional therapy. Ah, but what do you do with CIN2? Uh, it's that mystery box, especially in patients that are younger or reproductive age. Because while expected management is definitely an option, we always have that fear of, are we really missing something there? Or are we going to put a patient at risk for progression? Well, even though ASCCP states that in those patients concerned with future fertility for whom treatment is not an acceptable option, it's okay to do surveillance. But now we've got brand new data, and listen to this. I find this super interesting and actually a little fascinating. Because at first glance, these two publications by the same researchers, by the way, in two different journals, um, seems contradictory. But it's really not at all. It's actually quite supportive. So we're going to cover the progression or the natural fate of CIN2. Now, this is going to be in two very recent publications in two different journals. The first one came out in the Gray Journal. That's the American Journal of OBGYN. The first listed author is Catherine Like. Now, this is under the topic of gynecology, obviously, and that title is Clinical Course of Cervical Intrapathetal Neoplasia Grade 2, a Population-Based Cohort Study. Now, this is out, not from the U.S., this is a, a Danish study out of Denmark, which officially went out into press this month, December 2023, all right? So, fine, we're going to talk about the natural progress. Is it regression? Is it progression? What, what does that data look like? And then we're going to contrast that to a publication that came out just last month in November, this publication from November is from BMJ, British Medical Journal, same group of authors, same publication. But now this is looking at those who had untreated CIN2 from the December publication, what happened to them 20 years in the future. Wow. All right. So there's a lot of stuff to put together here. So they kind of got published uh, out of sequence. The one that is coming out now in December was the one that looked at regression within two years. But the one that came out last month in November were the ones that had that data already done and then followed them up for 20 years down the road, all right? So it's the same group of, of, of patients. It's just that one got published as the long-term data in one month, followed by the short-term data of what happened within the two years of that same cohort. Makes sense? Again, same patient population, same group of authors, 
But one is in the AJOG from this month, and the one from last month is in BMJ. Now, again, it's going to sound contradictory, but it really is not. It's, and we're going to make sense of this so that when we see a patient, especially a patient who's very young, reproductive age, we can give her this population-based data. Yes, we've got ASCCP. We're going to talk about that. That's how we're going to start this whole discussion because we have to talk about ASCCP at first. And then we're going to talk about this two studies, these two studies from that one patient cohort. All right, lots to cover here. Let's cover the CIN2 conundrum right now. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm so sorry if that analogy between the Category 2 fetal heart rate tracing and my CIN2 situation in gynecology didn't make sense to you. It makes sense to me. The idea is, boy, when it's the bookends, we're good. We know what to do. It's that middle stuff. We're like, okay, I can do this, but I'm uncomfortable with it. And now we have new data specifically regarding CIN. But before we get into that, uh, just a quick little tidbit as I tell our medical students and our residents that the terminologies matter, right? Words matter. So that L-cell, remember, and H-cell, those are cytology issues. So that belongs to pap smear screening uh, verbiage. But the CIN designations 1, 2, and 3, that is a histology issue. That is an N-block evaluation. So while obviously L-CIL and H-CIL correlate to the CIN designations, CIN means, means histology. So to be very clear, I'm talking about CIN2, all right? It's that conundrum box that's the focus of this episode and the focus of those two recent publications. And and that's our first clarification. The second clarification is this has to do with age issues, right? So that if the patient is 23, 25, 28, 30, whatever, this is where CIN2 matters, especially if future fertility is an issue. If you have CIN2 on a 55-year-old, oh, good God, man, please do something about that. <laughs> I mean, can you do an observation there? Yeah, but you're missing the point is that observation is acceptable only really for a fertility issue or if the patient is like adamant that she doesn't want any kind of treatment for whatever reason. That's where patient education comes in. Uh, and while we can't decide for the patient, you know, informed consent and informed refusal of care, that's where that comes in. But it, it, this is really a young reproductive age issue my point is, is that if you have a 55, 60-year-old with CIN2, please don't watch that. Why would you ever watch that? Excise <laughs> that. So even though CIN2 is different than CIN3, which is considered a true cancer precursor, and CIN2 can regress, the, the, the issue of observation is really uh, something more in the younger population. All right, everyone, we've got lots to cover here, like two big publications each one could be a podcast in and of themselves, but I decided to just clump them together because it tells the whole story. But before I do that, we've got to clarify this issue. If you're asked, how do you manage CIN2? 
then that's where you raise up your hand and you say, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, doctor, um, uh, CIN2, can you be much more specific? Because I understand what CIN2 is. But what's the patient's age? What is her history? Is she immunocompromised? Is she concerned about future fertility? Is this her uh, a recurrence or a first episode? Wow. And then they're like, all right, never mind. Because <laughs> you've already beat the question. You see, what, what, what is not good is just to, to give a spouted out uh, answer when there's more than one answer. Now, what to do with CIN3? That has one answer. You're like, oh, I don't like that at all. I'm not going to sit on that. Sitting on that is unacceptable. CIN3, even in patients under 25, which would be weird, but even in that population, we, we, we can't just watch that. We've got to excise that to make sure nothing else is in there. That's concerning. That's a precancerous lesion. That's red flags. That's fireworks are going off. Uh, you know, you got the guy with the orange cones going this way, this way. That That's a no-brainer. But CIN2, you can definitely, definitely offer treatment, which is the right thing to do, unless, and there's the little catch, unless the patient is concerned about fertility. That's exactly what ASCCP says in its most recent uh, risk-based algorithm, which was in 2019, when they were released officially out in 2020. Oh, by the way, 2024 is the next time ASCCP is meeting and looking to see if there's any out, uh, updates on that because now we're doing uh, patient self-collected H- uh, HPV tests or looking for HPV in menstrual blood. I mean, there's so many things about HPV going on. Anyway, the ASCCP states in the 2019 guideline under section 1.2, no, I didn't memorize that. I'm looking at it right now, which is management of histological HCIL or CIN2 or more. It says in all non-pregnant patients with a diagnosis of CIN3, treatment is recommended and observation is unacceptable. Fine. But then it goes on to say for CIN2, quote, in non-pregnant patients with histological CIN2, treatment is recommended unless the patient's concern about the effects of treatment on future pregnancy outweigh concerns about cancer. It goes on to say, quote, observation is unacceptable when the squamocolumnar junction or the upper limit of the lesion is not fully visualized or there's CIN2 on the ECC. Okay, you can't watch that because there could be stuff hidden beyond your biopsy and or uh, viewpoint. All right. Then it goes on to section 1.3, which is more details for the management of CAN2 in those who are concerned about the potential effects of treatment on future pregnancy. And for those, once you've done an appropriate COPO with your appropriate targeted biopsy and four-quadrant biopsy, Guys, so remember that when I trained, it was, oh, you only sampled the worst-looking lesion. Fantastic. You know, the tiling, the uh, abnormal vessels, the comma formations, uh, the the real acetylwhite with the rolled borders. For sure. The problem is all those are subjective. I mean, I, is that is that mosaism? Is that tiling to me? Is it normal? I mean, that, that there's some discrepancy in that. That's why you target what you see that looks funky, especially abnormal vessels. But then you also do a random four-quadrant biopsy because that increases your yield. That's not my opinion. We've known that for a while. And even if there's nothing, you're like, oh, I don't know. Your copo said it was weird, pap, but I, I don't see anything. Do a four-quadrant biopsy. Again, not my thing. This is out in literature. That increases your yield and your accuracy because our eyes sometimes do deceive us. I mean, sometimes seeing is not believing 
I, I see it, but I don't believe it. <laughs> You're missing the point. What is the point? Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. And sometimes, the most real things in the world are the things we can't see. Yes, just because you can't see it doesn't mean something is not there. Again, there's been a variety of publications on the random four-quadrant biopsy, and I get it. Nothing is perfect. The rebuttals to that as well. It's driving up costs, and you're giving a patient a procedure that she may not need. I, I, I understand that, but the procedure is already being done. That's colposcopy. And even though most pathologists charge per vial, um, I'd go ahead and put everything in one vial. I'd do it because it's not going to make a difference if I have CIN2 at 4 o'clock uh, and not at the other biopsies because I'm not just going to leap at 4 o'clock. I'm going to take off the entire uh, squamocolumnar junction. So I do put them all in one vial. That's just me for cost containment, even though I know that, uh, I mean, the the best if, if it's cost uh, applicable a cost affordable is to do it, of course, in each little sample so you know exactly which one has the abnormal cells. But uh, you're never going to target. I've always wondered about that. Why would I put them in a separate thing if I find out that at, at the 2 o'clock position, my 2 o'clock biopsy has CIN3? I'm not just going to take away that portion. I mean, that'd be weird. I'm going to take off the whole thing. So anyway, that's just my perspective on it. But even though this has been looked at for over a decade, uh, one of the most recent publications uh, came out in BMC, Women's Health. This came out November 2022, so just two years ago, almost to the date, because uh, this was published November the 19th, which was titled, Can Biopsies Be Omitted? After a normal COPO in women referred to with low-grade cervical cytology. This was a prospective cohort. And again, hey, these were low-grade abnormalities. They got a COPO. You're like, nah, I just don't see anything. Well, in this study, CIN2 or more was found in 22% of women with cytology that was L-cell or ASCUS and who had a, quote, normal coposcopic impression, end quote, Saying again, our eyes lie to us. I mean, seeing is believing, but some is it? Um, that's great if you see something that's a honking cancer. You're like, oh, that's cancer. But just because you don't see anything doesn't mean it's not there. So yes, I do believe that there is value to a random four-quadrant biopsy, but I explained that to the patient. Look, if the patient came to me for a copo, I mean, I'm going to do a biopsy because that's my job. I want to make sure that nothing is there. But of course, I let the patient know my thought process and, and the reasoning why that's a thing. And I explained that to the patient at the beginning, unless she's like adamant that that's no. But I explained why. Look, my eyes are my eyes. Uh, I'm only human. And this issue, you're here, obviously, because we want to make sure that you don't have anything that's worrisome. So let's make sure you don't have anything worrisome. And you're not here to to get an opinion from my eyes. You're here to get a, a, a guided biopsy so that we can then have the pathologist confirm or or deny what I am saying, Okay. Boy, I got into a heated topic of this by myself with him, <laughs> and no one's even arguing with me. I'm like all worked up here, and that has nothing to do with our, our publications, except, except, listen, guys, I'm not nuts. This is the tie-in. In these two publications, this this one uh, study group of patients that, that launched these two different publications, they did this exact thing, all right? Um, they did a COPO for abnormal PAPs, and then they did a targeted biopsy and the four-quadrant random biopsy as well. 
Okay, so that's the tie-in here. So I'm glad they did that. When I first saw the first publication in November, uh, my, my thought was, oh, how did they do this? I mean, how did they, are they sure that they really sampled what they needed to sample? And by doing a targeted and a random, regardless of the appearance of, of the coposcopic impression, then then that means that they, they really did their due diligence and it's most accurate. So, yes, these two publications that came out of this one patient cohort of which we're discussing now did this very thing. If you're interested in that publication that we talked about that found the 22% CIN2 or more, again, that's a BMC, the first author was Met. Jesperson, Jesperson. And of course, I'll post this on our reference list. Okay, I think I need to step away from that and <laughs> take a breath. And now we're going to get into, when we come back, we're going to get into the the short-term follow-up first. So December's, this month's publication from the Gray Journal, American Journal of OBGYN, which followed these patients uh, to see if it progressed, if it regressed, what was the age distribution of that, or is that a thing? And then we're going to talk about the one from last month, which is the beyond that, what happened to them at long-term follow-up, right? So when we come back, we're going to focus first on the December 2023 publication, with the first listed author being Catherine Like. that's L-Y-C-K-E. I'm so sorry if I say that wrong, because I, I don't know if that's a Danish thing or what, but I, I'm saying it the way I say it because I'm in Texas. So let's come back and we're going to tackle this one. And then we're going to talk about November's right after that. All right, guys, before we leave ASCCP for good and get into the new publications, remember that 25 is a big deal. Okay, 25 years old and below has a high rate of spontaneous regression, according to the U.S. data. We're going to talk about this new Danish study in a minute. And so there is this this, this discriminatory zone here between patients over 25 for which uh, either treatment or observation is acceptable. That's fine if fertility is a concern. And under the age of 25, um, then observation is definitely preferred for CIN2. Remember, CIN3 on biopsy treatment is recommended and observation is unacceptable even under the age of 25. Okay, because that's that something is off there and you got to do something about that. So CIN3. Regardless of age, you should really do something about. But in patients younger than 25 with CIN2, either observation um, or treatment uh, can be done, although observation is definitely preferable. And ASCCP says that treatment is acceptable in those under 25. But I have to say something quickly about what does this observation look like? Well, in patients younger than 25, who have CIN2 on biopsy, then uh, the observation is copo and cytology at six-month intervals. And if, if during that time, these are less than ASCUS-H uh, and histology results are less than CIN2 at those two time intervals, six and 12 months, then you can do a repeat eval at one year. Okay, and if CIN2 or some just unspecified H-CIL persists for two years, then treatment is recommended. So uh, what are the big take-homes here? 25 is a big, uh, 25 years old is a big kind of age discriminator. And if you're going to do observation for CIN2, two years is all you get. Okay, you can't put them in for a five-year plan. There is no five-year plan. It's two years and then you got you to gotta poop or get off the pot. You got to do something about that. 
So here we are with the December 2023 publication from the Gray Journal. The title again is Clinical Course of Cervical Intraepithelial Neoplasia Grade 2, a population-based cohort study. Now, this remember, this was a, a, a population review out of Denmark that was like over 20 years. It was 1998 to 2020. Wow. So it's been a long, long interval. That's how they collected this long-term longitudinal data. It's really phenomenal. Uh, the patients were age 18 all the way up to 40. Now, remember what we said before. If you got CIN2 and a 55-year-old, don't watch that. I mean, why, why would you watch that? Just treat them. Conservative is if they're concerned about fertility. 55, ain't no one worried about fertility there. Right? So do something about that. So 18 to 40, this was this population, and it was very easy. What happens to those patients that get their COPO, have their targeted biopsy and their random biopsies, get found to have CIN2, and then get put into the plan of observation? And by the way, the observation plan is exactly what ASCCP says to do, right? Now, the, the question is very easy. At two years, how many regressed? How many progressed? All right, so let's just get right into it because we've got lots to cover. This was over 11,000 women who went into the active surveillance plan just as outlined by ASCCP. Of that 11,000 cohort, actually 11,056, if you want to be accurate, okay, within the 24-month interval, 62.9%, so let's call it 63, 63% regressed. That's cool. 33% progressed, and all of this was within the first 24 months, two years. Now, most women actually regressed 90%. Listen, guys, this is a huge clinical pearl. Of those that regressed, 90% did it within the first 12 months. And the same thing happened for those who progressed. So while you can watch for two years to catch that little 10% extra little tail, if something is going to happen, oddly enough, It's going to happen within the first year. Weird, right? So it is what it is. So 90% regressed or progressed within the first year. And if it's just stable, so let's let's say nothing happened. That's called stable. Put them into another year and that additional 10% in either camp rounded up the base. All right. So total in in the two years, 63% regressed and 33% progressed. Remember, these were patients that had an index finding of CIN2. Index meaning that's their first time. These were not repeat offenders. This was just their first time doing it. And they were they were offered either they could have a leap or they could have surveillance. It was, it was put to them, okay? And because of the high rate of regression that CIN2 is known to have, it's totally legit. They're not doing something, uh, you know, wacky. It's okay to observe those, although you're really trying to preserve fertility as the main reason for observation, as we've already discussed ad nauseum. Now, under the setting section of this manuscript of this study, it describes how they did the COPO, and it's exactly what we talked about. I don't want to get all into it, but let me just read it exactly verbatim so you don't think I'm making up stuff about the four-quadrant deal, all right? Quote, adcoposcopy abnormal areas were identified and targeted biopsies were collected. Since 2013, it has been recommended to take four biopsies regardless of the coposcopic findings. The results of biopsies and associated cytology determines the recommendations for further management, end quote. That's all I had to say about that. Now, here's something interesting from this cohort, because you would think that 
the rate of progression in younger women would be less, right? Because they're younger, so they've got more immunity, so it's not likely to progress. But the rate of progression within two years, 24 months, was similar in women age 30 to 40 compared to women who were age 23 to 29. So age really wasn't a factor in this. That's interesting. The authors state under the comment section under principal findings, quote, to the best of our knowledge, this is the largest study on women undergoing active surveillance for CIN2. Now, remember, we stated that the majority of the activity, either regression or progression, happened within a year. So the authors kind of take that to heart here. And let me just give you the clinical implications as we now balance that to the long-term follow-up of these very same patients who had active surveillance and then had regression, right? That that 63% that like, hey, you're your, everything went normal. Your cytology, your biopsies uh, are, are normal. We're going to follow that up in a minute. But before we leave this two-year cohort, here's what the authors state as their clinical implications. Under their clinical implications, the authors state, quote, the observed high spontaneous regression rate of 63% supports the active surveillance plan up to 24 months. However, as 90% of regression and progression occurred within the first year, it may be worth considering reducing the active surveillance period to 12 months, end quote. Now, remember, that's just their opinion. ASCCP says you got to drag that out for the two years, although it's something to consider that, yep, one year is kind of a big deal, according to this study. All right, everyone, and just to throw in that little piece of uncomfortableness, yes, there was some cancer in this cohort. However, it was really, really small. It was 0.3%. But it's not negative, which again, just makes that point that CIN2, you know, it's not all benign. I mean, it's got some issues here. Now, it wasn't 1% or 2%, but 0.3% is something to consider. Yep, 0.3% in this study had cervical cancer diagnosed within that 24-month interval. Now, here's where you should be thinking, well, wait a minute, isn't there a better way to kind of triage who's at risk here? I mean, maybe we should look at HPV genotype for the CIN2 category, even after the histology comes back. Well, I get that. It makes total sense. Yes, HPV 16 and 18 definitely is considered a risk of progression. But right now, ASCCP, remember those algorithms, guys, once you get a diagnosis of CIN2, that's it. That's what guides your management along with patient age, not HPV presence. Actually, only Swedish and Norwegian guidelines consider HPV genotype in the active surveillance versus immediate leap group for CIN2. So, Yes, it is known. Everybody gets that. That 16 and 18 is a risk factor for progression and for cancer. But but right now, that is not part of the active management, according to ASCCP, of a biopsy that comes back CIN2. All right. So what's the take home message? Yes, you can watch CIN2. Uh, the majority of stuff's going to happen within the first year, although you got to carry out surveillance uh, to two years, according to the national published guidelines. And and you can just keep your eye on it. And then if it persists for two years, or obviously if it progresses, then leap them at that point. The question is, for those that regress, that 63% that regressed, what happened to them down the road? Well, for that, we got to look at last month's November's 2023 publication from this same cohort and the same group of authors. So let's do that next. 
All right, everyone, for this related but separate publication, remember that came out in BMJ 2023. This was the one that was out in November. Now, this one looked at follow-up for 20 years. Now, remember I said the exact same population? Well, yes and no. So let me just be very clear. This is that Danish population still being followed, either in active surveillance for CIN2 or those who had immediate LEAP or an excision procedure. But the numbers are a little bit different because of how they uh, categorize their inclusion and exclusion in this November publication, all right? So it's not like the exact, that same number uh, of people from the December publication extrapolated now into this one. They're within that. They're embedded in those numbers. But the numbers are a little bit off because, again, of of the design that was a little bit broader in the November publication. So let me give you this title. Untreated Cervical Intraepithelial Neoplasia Grade 2 and Subsequent Risk of Cervical Cancer. Again, a population-based cohort study. Yes, same database was mind, same database was used out of Denmark. I just want to jump quickly to the conclusions here so then we can do our discussion and wrap this up, put these two, marry these two pieces of of, of publications together, all right? So here's the main take home, quote, the cumulative risk of cervical cancer was comparable across the two groups, that's the surveillance group or those that had immediate leap or an excision procedure during the active surveillance period of two years, end quote. So let's stop there, all right? Got it. Uh, right, if cervical cancer was was no different with the observation uh, or excision in the two year time frame. Okay, but listen to this quote. Thereafter, the risk increased in the active surveillance group, reaching 2.65% after 20 years, whereas it remained stable in the excision group at 0.76%. End quote. That's basically, according to these authors, are like, hey, it's fourfold higher in the active surveillance after 20 years. Okay, so let's process that. Uh, yes, we can offer surveillance. Yes, it's got a great chance of it going away. However, it is possible that we're kicking the can down the road. Well, why is that? Why was the rate four times higher in 20 years compared to? The immediate excision group. Well, it makes a lot of sense, right? I mean, that's not hard to understand. Well, first of all, everybody relax, take a deep breath. Even though it's fourfold higher, the absolute number is still very low. So we, that's that's the main take home. Rate of cervical cancer, because they're under some kind of surveillance, it, it, even after two years, yep, it's still low, but it did happen, all right? They were equal within two years, but then they spread out in 20 so that those who just had observation and never had an excision, fourfold higher at 20 years. Well, of course, it's higher because you never reduced the HPB burden. I mean, yes, their biopsies and PAPs regressed, but that's the outward sign. Underneath that, behind the veil, the offender is still there, which is HPV. Remember, when you do a leap or a cone, you're not only removing the affected cells, but at least in theory, you are removing a lot of the viral burden. So that explains it. It makes sense. So when I first read this, I'm like, well, wait a minute. Okay, so we shouldn't do active surveillance. Remember, I read this in November. This was last month. Like, oh, it's fourfold higher. Maybe we should go to immediate leap. But then the paper came out for this month in December. It's like, oh, well, it's high rate of resolution. Rate of cervical cancer overall still pretty low. It's an option. 
So both of those are correct. They sound contradictory, but they're really not because the overall rate of cervical cancer is still relatively low. And there is a very high rate of regression within the first two years. The take-home message is if the patient is concerned about fertility with an excision procedure on her cervix, then do surveillance. However, if it regresses to negative, fantastic. That's wonderful. But we have to make sure the patient knows. And we need to document that the patient is aware that she's in this for the long haul. Just like if you had, I mean, a leap, you're still in it for surveillance. But at least there, you not only remove the cells immediately, but you can also reduce the HPV burden. So, yes, we need to celebrate if those lesions go away. That's great. We prevented a leap at that time. But potentially, it is kicking the can down the road. So that's the important clinical pearl here. Yes, active surveillance works. Yes, high rate of regression of CIN2. It's totally fine. But that doesn't mean that they are free and clear forever. Yes, I am a fan of doing expectant management, active surveillance, especially for patients under the age of 30 who are concerned about fertility, especially if they're G0. I think it's totally fair to wait and see what happens by putting them in that active surveillance. But it's important that they realize we've got to keep this game going long term. Thankfully, the rate of cervical cancer, even though it was fourfold higher than the immediate excision group, which is remarkable. I mean, that's that's a big number. The absolute rate is still very small. So anyway, I found that interesting. I I read one in November and I'm like, okay, I'm confused. And then December came out. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Now we're even more confused. But when you step back and look at the data, uh, hopefully you feel the same like we did now. It makes a lot of sense. So is there a place for active surveillance? Absolutely. Is it for everyone? No way. (laughs) And if it regresses and their lesion is clear, does that mean they're out of harm's way? No, it doesn't mean that they are out of harm's way. All right, podcast family, that's all we got. Let's bring it to a wrap. Well, there you have it. The CIN2 conundrum. Really, it's not much of a conundrum at all. It's all about patient expectation, choosing the right treatment based on patient's age and potential obstetrical risk factors, and then doing our due diligence to make sure that she goes into surveillance one way or the other to make sure that nothing pops up down the road. All right, podcast family, we're thankful for you. We're glad you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls. Now, at the end of this manuscript, these authors do have an interesting take here in that, you know, we always think that patients are anxious about a procedure, and so if we can avoid a procedure, then that's fine. But we kind of forget the rebuttal of that, the other flip of that coin, which is the anxiety that comes from not having a procedure. In other words, waiting for something to spontaneously regress. So you see how complicated that is? Let me read you this excerpt, and then I want to talk about it just briefly. So the authors go on to say, quote, women should be properly informed about the risks and benefits of active surveillance, especially considering that active surveillance is associated with an increased level of anxiety and concern about disease progression, end quote. So this all goes into that informed discussion, guys. you got to take time with the patient. Look, we've diagnosed you with CIN2 based on biopsy. Uh, what are your fears? What is more scary for you, a potential impact on pregnancy or, or fertility or that this progresses? Even though we're going to keep an eye on you, we're going to put you in active surveillance for two years and then beyond. What does this mean to you? 
Because in the past, it was always so physician-led, right? You need a leap or I'm going to watch you. But what's missing is what, what is, is going to make the patient the most comfortable? For some, getting the procedure is going to wig her out. And for others, not doing anything is like, oh, hell no, you're not leaving me with this. And, and we've got to meet the patient where she is at. Is that important or what? Because when I read this statement, I'm like, wow, I, I, that's totally right. And I've always considered the more anxious part getting the procedure. But it's equally as anxious not getting anything done. So, so isn't that interesting? Come on, guys. I, I'm just fascinated by this because it, it's just, there's so many aspects to this. And all we're trying to do or should be trying to do is keep the patient safe. Give her information and, and watch her because nobody likes the possibility of cancer. Um, and, and so this is the reality of it. So CIN1, no-brainer. CIN3, that's a no-brainer. We're going to excise that and put you into that surveillance. But two, you see how complicated it is. It's like more, more choices, more uh, paralysis, right? That's why like Costco and Sam's or all those places. All right, well, I've gone on some kind of weird editorial here. So let's go ahead and stop and let's wrap it up. Oh, uh, I have to say, uh, Sam's Costco, not a sponsor. Anyway, that's why they have variety, but not like a lot of variety because then you don't get anything. That's the whole definition of, what is it? Uh, uh, analysis paralysis, right? D- decision stuckness. I mean, you just don't, you're just like, I'm overwhelmed. So having choices, great, but having choices can also be confusing. But the safest is if the patient is not concerned of fertility, just get it done. Get it out of there, reduce the HPV burden, but it's not for everyone. 